The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. Hey, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you open those up to Ephesians chapter 2? Ephesians chapter 2 is where we're going to be. You can open a phone. You can open a tablet. Uh, We do have hardback black Bibles under every single chair that you can open to Ephesians 2. On on those Bibles, it's page 976. But Ephesians 2 is an interesting, the second half of Ephesians 2 is an interesting passage that I want you to, to follow along with as we study today. This is our fourth week. Okay, this is week four in our fall series in the the book of Ephesians. And Paul, the writer, the Apostle Paul, uh, takes a turn in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. So just look at the first word of verse 11. Verse 11 says, therefore. So it starts with a therefore, which is a conjunction. It's a connecting word, which means that Paul is going to connect what he has just said with now what he is about to say. And here, let me just give you by way of reference what he has just said in chapters one and the first half of two. We, we did three weeks on this. The first week he started, Paul started with a theology lesson about how God saves. And the main idea that we honed in on was that he predestined us. And so if you were with us week one, we kind of dove into the deep end, uh, went, you know, waded out into the ocean of predestination. And we found that God loved us first. God chose us first. God called us first. He saved us. And we responded to his movement in that equation. So we talked about that predestined. The second thing um, that Paul did right on the tail end of that is he, he prayed that the Ephesian Christians wouldn't merely know that information with their mind, but that their eyes of their hearts would be opened to that. Uh, So the main idea in week two was that we would be enlightened, that we would have the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that we would experientially, not just head knowledge, but heart knowledge. Remember the word gnosko? the Greek word for knowing at an experiential, intimate level, that that's how we would know this God. And then last week, Paul reminded those Ephesian Christians, remember he's preaching to Christians here, he's writing to Christians, and and he reminds these Christians of the bad news of where they were before Christ and the good news of the gospel. And the idea that we talked about last week was that they are depraved, that we were depraved and that was a joyful, we had a good time last week talking about total depravity. I mean, I had fun, uh, but I get a little frothy when I start to preach about sin, so I'm okay with that. Um, but, but this is what we said last week, that, that, that you were once dead, and now you've been made alive in Christ, right? You were once in league with the enemy, but now you're seated with Christ in glory positionally. You were once deserving of God's wrath, a child of wrath, but now you have received his mercy and his grace. That good news of the gospel in Ephesians chapter two. So now in light of all of that, in light of all of that, therefore, therefore, and what Paul is gonna do is he is now gonna move and pivot from kind of an individual response to the gospel to more of a corporate response. 
He is moving from the person to the people. He's moving from what you were saved from as an individual, and he is going to what you are saved into as in a community. And so the main idea of today's text is that we are reconciled. You see this one word thing I'm doing here in Ephesians? We'll see if it keeps going. But you were predestined, you are enlightened, you are depraved, and you are reconciled. You are reconciled. And what we will see in this text is that there are three ways by which we have been reconciled. All right? And just a fair warning, I think this is a complicated text. I think it's complicated. Some, some sermons, as I'm studying and writing, they just come real easy, real natural. It's like, oh, that's what that means. This one, I had to do a little bit more work for this. So what I'm going to do this morning, just fair warning, I'm going to walk us through the whole text and try to explain it as we go. And then I'll give us some application at the end of the sermon. So does that sound okay? Does that sound work for you? It really doesn't matter if you like it or not, okay? I've got the face mic. That's what we're doing. All right, here we go. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to pick it up in verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers, sorry, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Oh, see why it's a little complicated? Some heavy language right off the bat. This is what Paul's doing as he starts in verses 11 and 12. Paul is asking these Ephesian Christians to remember some of the things that actually they may not want to remember. Some of the things that are actually kind of painful to remember. Some of the things that they wish they could forget even about themselves. But, but Paul wants them to remember, just like he did last week, he starts kind of with this bad news, but he doesn't call them to simply remember the good. He says, you better remember that you were Gentiles. You better remember that you were called the uncircumcision. All right, And, and, and so what was true about the church in Ephesus is that they were not predominantly Jewish people who became Christians. In fact, the church at Ephesus was predominantly Gentiles, pagans, non-Jews who had converted to Christ. They were Gentiles, and the uncircumcised Gentiles were seen by both the Jews and, hear me, by the scriptures to have no favor with God, to be outside of God's covenant People to be outside of the promises given to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and their descendants. And and so uh, this is true. To be part of God's people, if you wanted to be a part of God's people, you had to become Jewish, which meant, gentlemen, there's a surgery involved, okay? Right, right, right. You had to be circumcised. That was part of the practice. And I just always like to say and insert this. Whenever we talk about circumcision, because it's just a weird thing to talk about, I always just like to say, gentlemen, we don't require any surgery to be a part of Fathom Church. Okay? (laughs) Glory to God. Right? (laughs) Praise his name for that. No surgery required. But that's not how it was. 
You wanted to be a part of God's people before Christ? You did have to go under the knife. A circumcision in the flesh made by hands is what the text says. So Paul, listen, doesn't want them to forget that. They were outsiders. They were outside of the people of God, outside of the promises of God, outside of the hope of God. They were out. But, verse 13, but now, remember the buts in the Bible. We love the buts in the Bible. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So, the good news shows up. The bad news and the good news. And this is actually the first way in the text that we have been reconciled, okay? We have been reconciled to God. We've been reconciled to God. That's the first way we've been reconciled. And, and Paul doesn't want you to forget this. This is the good news. That separation, that alienation, that hopelessness that faced the Gentiles has been reversed, Okay, you were outside, you were far off, but now in Christ, you were brought near. You are made an insider by the blood of Christ. You're reconciled to God. It's this vertical reconciliation between you and your creator. So this is all review, okay? This is all review from last week. We've already talked about this uh, pretty in depth. This is the bad news and the good news. But now Paul is gonna turn the corner. He's gonna go deeper in this reconciliation theme. So look at verse 14. For he himself is our peace. This is Christ. Christ himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Now, let's stop there, okay? We were outsiders and Christ has brought us near. But now in verse 14, the text says that Jesus has made us both one. He's made us both, Jew and Gentile, one. So what Paul is saying is that the Jews and Gentiles have now been kind of combined and it's actually the second part of reconciliation. It's the second way we're reconciled. We've been reconciled to one another. The gospel doesn't just mean reconciliation with God. It actually begins to show up on a horizontal plane and we are reconciled to one another. Now, this is incredibly radical. This news is incredibly radical when you consider what the Jews thought of the Gentiles. Listen, Jews despised the Gentiles. The Gentiles weren't like just kind of, you know, net zero, kind of average, kind of no, they're of no concern. They were anti God. They were anti God's people. They were anti the covenants. And so there was this common prayer that I believe Josephus recorded that a Jewish man would pray. And it went something like this. A Jewish man would pray this prayer. God, I thank you that I'm not a Gentile, a woman, or a Samaritan. This was a common prayer. Sorry, ladies, you got thrown in there. Uh, I mean, that was, it's, it was the time, but that's what they would pray. The Jewish men would pray this. And Paul, a Jew, is now saying, not only does salvation make us right with God, it actually enables reconciliation among even the worst of human enemies. Now, 
I think we'd agree with that statement at some level, okay? But what is Paul talking about when he mentions this dividing wall of hostility? Did you see that? This dividing wall of hostility. Well, uh, I've read a bunch about it, and there are multiple options for what this wall could be, but I think there's one that makes the most sense that most good commentators will agree upon. In the first century, at this time when Paul is writing, in Jerusalem, on the Temple Mount, uh, in the temple, there was a literal four and a half to five foot tall wall, okay, in the Jerusalem Temple precincts that would separate two courts. The courts of the Gentiles was the outer court, and the court of the Jews was the inner court. And there's a wall that separated that. And there is there are inscriptions that we have, historical records found on that wall prohibiting the entrance of a Gentile into the court of the Jews under threat and punishment of death. There is a wall in the Jewish mind and in the Jewish temple that separated the good from the bad, that separated the clean from the unclean, that separated the safe from the unsafe. These verses, the the dividing wall of hostility, verse 14, it acknowledges something that I think we all know And that is that our world is divided. And there's real hostility between various peoples. And even though we may not be so politically incorrect as to post signs like that anymore, though you don't have to go too far back in American history to find signs that keep some people in some places and not in other places. But maybe, let's just assume we're politically correct enough not to post a sign I want to argue that we still have walls in our minds that separate the right kind of folk from the wrong kind. The good ones from the bad ones, the safe from the unsafe. And now I want to also argue that this is a completely natural thing. It's a completely natural thing. So uh, for me, I was raised in the suburbs of Colorado Springs. Uh, Because of that, I am just naturally more comfortable with middle-class, college-educated, socially conservative, predominantly white contexts. That's where I'm more comfortable, and I have to personally be really intentional to work to make sure that I don't view people who don't fit in those categories with suspicion or fear or, God, help me, disdain. And listen, that's natural because that's where I was raised, because that's how I was brought up. Who is it that you feel a natural kinship or bond with? It's natural, y'all. Sometimes this is racial, okay? Let's be real. It is. This is a big one that we've talked about culturally for the number, last number of years. Maybe it's white people or black people or Hispanic people or Asian people. You just feel more comfortable with a certain people group. But I don't want to just limit it to race because this could also, there are these walls that can exist because of many things. Education levels can be a wall. Right? Maybe you only feel comfortable being around people who have a similar education level as you. Or sometimes maybe you don't like people who are more educated than you because you think they're elitist and they think they're jerks and you, right, you just don't want to be there. There could be a wall in your mind around different levels of success. 
in whatever category you want, okay? Separating the successful and the unsuccessful, those who have what it takes and those who don't. And you spend your time only with the people who are on your side of the wall. College students, be very careful about this because your college education does not intrinsically make you better than your friends from high school who didn't get one. There's a dividing wall that sometimes is erected there. There are political walls. Goodness, we don't even need to go into that, but I just may as well. Why? Because I like to get emails from you, right? But <laughs> there, listen, there are political walls. You can, you can think that one ph- political philosophy is the only good political philosophy while the others are all bad, evil, wrong. Maybe it's those coming from good families and upbringings as opposed to those with messed up families. I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of walls that can be erected in our mind. And I just want to affirm this. There's nothing intrinsically out of the ordinary with that happening in your life. You do not need to feel guilty about those natural predispositions towards homogeneity. Because trust me, you're not unique in this. And I've traveled a lot of different places, a lot of different countries, a lot of different continents in my life. And I think it is safe to say that this is not unique of Americans. Everybody feels comfortable in the the context that they're comfortable in, which sounds redundant, but it just needs to be said. We are naturally at ease with people like us. Now, Now, with that being said, but... But that can end up erecting walls that put divisions within the church, within the body. And what the text just said is that Christ has broken the walls of hostility. We have been reconciled to one another. Christ tore down those dividing walls. And Paul said, listen, when it came to God, we were all outsiders. When it came to Christ, it wasn't who's clean and who's unclean, who's good and who's bad, who's a winner and who's a loser. When it came to Christ, we were all either outside of his grace and mercy or in his Family. Galatians 3.28 says this, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. Ladies, you're back in the, in the fold. Praise the Lord, okay? You are all one in Christ Jesus. One is the same word that when he says making both one. Same thing, same idea. Jesus' blood has cleansed us all alike. Listen, the wall, the wall has been torn down. Those walls of hostility have been torn down. Now, what does this teach us? This teaches us that we are not ultimately, I use that word intentionally, we are not ultimately defined by our cultures. Trusting in Jesus, listen, does not remove our cultural distinctives. It just shows us that that we're not ultimately defined by them. We are defined first and foremost by who we are in Christ. So I, listen, I know I'm, you can send me an email, whatever. I'll pass it off to my administrative assistant. Um, <laughs> welcome to the team, Aubrey. I want to be careful here. I just want to be real careful because this is going to get, it can get misinterpreted, but let me just say this. God created the rich and beautiful fabric of cultures. 
He created those things and he is not on a mission to erase them for us to go colorblind, as some would say. But it is that God gives you an identity that surpasses, it goes far deeper than any culture this earth can give you. That's what I'm saying. That's what this text is saying. The walls of hostility have been broken in his flesh. They've been torn down. Now, think how revolutionary this is. Okay, right now, this might feel like, oh, this, yeah, that's what you should be preaching on, pastor. Thank you. But, but this was revolutionary at the time because when, when Paul wrote these words, that wall, that literal wall in the literal temple was literally still there. That wall was standing. And Paul says, that wall right there doesn't exist anymore in Christ. That wall is taken down. In Christ, the wall is gone, even if it remained physically. And listen, so too in Christ, all of our distinctions are gone, even if they still exist. In Christ, we are one. Now, you having fun yet? This is good. This is why I'm trying to explain this, okay? Verse 15, verse 15, he goes on. Divide the, the, the wall of hostility has fallen by abolishing the law. Verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father. As I'm reading those verses, can you picture the wall? Those who are near and those who are far off, both becoming one. I mean, this is uh, radical language. So God is creating one new man in the place of two is what that text says. That he might reconcile us both to God. That's the reconciliation to one another we're talking about. So it's not, that, um, it's not that the Gentiles are being taken and made Jews, nor are the Jews being taken and like unjewified, right? Like becoming more Gentile. He says, they both are taken and made one new man. That's the illustration here. A whole new race of people killing the hostility that those walls created. That's what he's saying. Verse 19, we'll finish this text up and then I'll bring us some application. Verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. Uh, so what's Paul talking about here? He said some things. That these are, we're not members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and Prophets, the apostles and prophets is Bible talk for the scriptures. So this is built on the foundation of the scriptures where Christ is the cornerstone, where the spirit dwells as we are being built together. What's he talking about? He's talking about the church. 
Yeah, the church. And it's actually the third way we've been reconciled. See, we've been reconciled to God and we've been reconciled to one another, but now we are reconciled for the church. You're reconciled for the church. You Gentiles. Most of us in here are probably Gentiles. You might have some Jewish heritage, but most of us are Gentiles. We were outside of God's covenant people Old Testament wise, okay? So you Gentiles, you're no longer strangers. Right now, you're fellow saints, and the text says you are members of the household of God. This is the church, y'all. This is the church he's talking about. You've been reconciled to God, to one another, and now you've reconciled for a purpose, and that purpose is the church. Now, in terms of application, okay, that's the text. We're going to still apply this. I mean, I've got plenty of time. Don't worry about it, okay? In terms of application, one word that I'd like to point out here is the word that we just saw a couple times in verses 21 and 22, and that's the word together. Together shows up a couple of times in those verses. And I think from this text, we, we, we can learn that we need to be very active in our local churches, that we need to be very active in our church. The church, Paul tells us, is what God is building on earth. That's what he said. This is what I'm building on earth, is the church. Not individuals with passions for Christ. I'm building those, but it's not what I'm primarily doing. Primarily, I'm building God's people. Not God's person, God's people, the church. This is what he says that, that in verses 21 and 22. We are being joined together. We are being built together into a dwelling place. For who? For God. For his spirit. That means that you are reconciled for something. Not just from something, but for something. And that something is the church. Now this, again, I, I know I keep talking about the church because it just keeps showing up in the text, but there are lots of people who say that they're Christians and have no business for the church anymore. This is a very normal thing. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm just not interested in church. But biblically, that category does not exist. I'm sorry, it just doesn't exist in the scriptures. Being a Christian without a church is kind of like being a baseball player without a team. Right? You're like, oh, I'm a baseball player. Okay, cool. Who do you play for? Oh, I don't have a team. Oh, I don't have a team. Listen, if you're a baseball player without a team, you're just a weird guy in tight pants. <laughs> Convince me I'm wrong. Like, what are you doing? Throwing the ball to yourself? Hey! <laughs> Whoa, right? Just like tossing it up. Oh, yeah! You're always safe. You're never out. Of course, because it's just you. You're not playing an individual sport. It's a team sport. You look weird. It just doesn't work. That's because it's not supposed to work that way. 1 Corinthians 12, another Pauline epistle, he uses the illustration of the body. The body, okay? Jesus is the head. Each one of us is a member or a part of the body, and that's the church. That's the illustration for the church. And listen, we need every part, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, we need every part of the body. Every part we might be thinking we're doing fine without you. You might think you're doing fine without us. But that's simply not how the Bible puts it. I know a lot of people today who think I can be a Christian and not be connected to a church, but that's just simply not 
scriptural. It's not biblical. It's like this. I've used this illustration historically. Um, if you were, if you walk out of service today, go down the hallway, get out into the parking lot, come up to your Prius, and you see a severed foot laying on the ground. Just a foot, okay? A foot, a disembodied foot right there by your car, nothing else. You would not walk up to that foot and just be like, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine foot. Uh, you're a very nice foot. Okay, good for you. Uh, uh, what, who am I to you? Who am I to you to say you should be a part of a body? I, uh, you know, if you want to be a foot all by yourself, hey, you know what? You do you, right? Foot do foot. Just you do whatever your thing. Okay, do your thing, foot. You would never walk outside and see a severed foot and think those things. You never would. You would think, foot, something has gone horribly awry in this parking lot while we were singing to Jesus and there's a foot here. This is bad. This is not part of the plan. Nobody planned foot here right now. What is happening? Not only, listen, not only is it bad for the foot, but there's somebody gimping around here, just stubbing around here without a foot. What is happening? It's bad for the body. It's bad for the foot. It's bad for the body. I use that illustration. Listen, there are, there are some of you, maybe in this room right now, we're supposed to be connected to us at this body, in this church. And you're not. And hear me, it's not awesome for you and it's not awesome for us. And think of the future of that foot, okay? I'm not a doctor, just so you know. Just wanna put that out there. I am not a medical doctor, but... The future of that foot is not good, right? It's not good. What's going to happen to that foot as it is disconnected from the body? What's going to happen? I mean, the foot's going to start to sink. It's going to start to get stinky. And listen, feet aren't naturally connected to the body feeling good vibes about smell, okay? So like the foot is going to start to stink. It's going to get ripe. It's going to rot. It's going to shrivel up. It's dead. Without the body, the foot is dead. So I'm just going to... I'm just going to be very bold and say this. Now, you're at church, so you're going to probably agree with me on this one, maybe, but I'm just going to be really bold and say this. If you want God to work in your life, you have to be meaningfully connected to a church. It's the body, you're a foot. You can't exist on your own. There's no life to be found there. Jesus will use a similar illustration of being connected to the vine. If you want God to work in your life, you have to be meaningfully connected to a church. Why? Because the text told us that that's the place where God dwells by his spirit. God in his fullness now dwells with us in his church. And you might say, well, you know, do we have the Holy Spirit living in us as a person? Yes, you do. Okay, we don't need to argue that right now. But God in his fullness does not dwell in any one of us. The scriptures never say that, but God does in his fullness dwell in the local church. It's where he's at. That's why it's that important. You need to be together. You need to be together. Um, okay, another word of application. We talked together. Let's talk this. Um, second word of application is diversity. Diversity. That's what I see in the text. Okay, listen, if, if you plan on joining a church, any church, 
there will be people who are like you, right? They'll enjoy the same things as you. They'll be in the same life stage as you. They might look and talk and act like you, all right? But, but that shouldn't be the entire community of any church. Fathom, we want to be a place that's diverse. We want to be a place that's diverse in race, in background, in interests. The church is described in the scriptures as a place of real diversity. So if we're doing this church thing correctly, this will always be a place where we look and think and act differently from each other, but also in those differences where we will love and walk alongside and learn from one another. And so listen, we do have some of this happening here already, and we have a ton of room to grow in this, a ton of room. So the ways that we're doing this well, we actually as a church have a pretty diverse political spectrum here at Fathom. I've got friends in different churches, some in the city, some more out in the country or whatever, and and some of them have almost all hardline right-wingers when it comes to politics, and others have all hardline left-wingers. But here at Fathom, we've we've got it all. We're not all moderates, by the way, just so you're aware. We're not like centrists here. There are some of you that are, but we got some crazies on both sides. You're just all here. Like if you join a D group here at Fathom, there's a decent chance that you're going to have a liberal and a conservative in the same D group. You might have a Bernie loving liberal and a Trump supporting conservative and you're eating pumpkin bread together. (laughs) Now listen to me. That's the good news. That's the wall of hostility breaking down. That's actually what we want in the church. We want this. The wall of hostility has been broken. So we have younger people and we've got older people. We do, we've got a pretty good mix of that. We have doctorate degrees and we've got GEDs in this church. Okay, we have people who were raised in the church. I've never known anybody uh, any day in my life where I didn't love and serve Jesus. And then we've got some of y'all and you're just a train wreck and the Lord is just starting to sweep things up. There's some of us who are newer to this stuff. And this is a good thing. We are diverse in some areas, y'all. But if you look around you will notice that we are lacking diversity in some areas as well. We're we're pretty monochromatic, right? I mean, I'm I'm white, so I can, I'm like Larry Bird white, so I can say this, we're pretty vanilla. (laughs) I mean, I don't know if that's politically correct or not, but but I just need you to know that's not okay. I I want you to know that your elders, we, we are praying for more racial diversity at this church. I would implore you, please pray with us in that. This will start by us getting on our knees together. But but we want to be more diverse in that way. We are mostly socioeconomically upper middle to upper middle, middle to upper middle class. We're just not very diverse socioeconomically and we want that to change. We want to become more diverse as a church. Why? Because we've been reconciled. Because we've been reconciled. God is not glorified, hear me, by a big audience of middle-class white people. That is not where God is most glorified. You know why? Because that's not what the kingdom of heaven is told to look like in the scriptures. 
When the kingdom of heaven is envisioned in uh, the book of Revelation, John's Revelation, here's how it's described. This is the kingdom of heaven. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. That's how the kingdom's described. If you're hoping that heaven uh, looks a lot like you, sounds a lot like you, thinks a lot like you, votes a lot like you, listen, guys, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Based on that text, you're not going to understand half or more of what's going on because it's in different tribes and tongues and languages. Like, you're not going to, you'll be like, what is going on here? If you're looking for homogeny, the kingdom of heaven is not going to be a lot like heaven for you. It might be a little bit more like hell. Because we've been reconciled, we need to embrace diversity. I know this is a, sometimes this feels like a sticky political issue, but it's in the Bible, y'all. It's in the text. One more point of application before we close up. I had 2 Corinthians 5 read over us this morning because I, I feel like this is the kind of the, the reconciliation passage and I wanted to end with this. I'll read it uh, again, put it up on the screen. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Here's the message, or it would be in a second. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Here's the message, his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So you've been reconciled to God You've been reconciled to one another. You've been reconciled for the purpose of the church. And now we have what Paul says is the ministry of reconciliation. We have that. You have that. The ministry of reconciliation. Our reconciliation should fuel our zeal to reach out to others who are far from Christ. It's the ministry of reconciliation. So the way I like to kind of simplify this and, and explain the ministry of reconciliation is this. I think we should invest and I think we should invite. Investing and inviting. I think we must intentionally invest in those outside of the body of Christ and invite them in. Invest and invite. This is the ministry of reconciliation. And listen, Statistically, this is how it works. This works. Invest and invite actually works. The stats say that 80% of people who come to a church come because someone invited them. Not because of Google ads, not because of a big sign, not because of like a bouncy house and like some event with corn stalks and pumpkins. Not that there's anything wrong with that, all right? but 80% of people come to a church for the first time because someone else invited them. And you, that's my story, you guys. I mean, if you've been with us at all in, this, in the history of our church, you know my story. Listen, like I remember before I was saved, 
I remember what it was like before I was saved when people, unlike me in many ways, not like me in many ways, started investing and inviting me. They started investing in and inviting me in to follow Christ. So my story is it all started in eighth grade. I talk about getting saved at 16, but it all started in eighth grade when a friend, a kid at school, invited me to attend his youth group with him. Now, this is the weird thing about this, as I think back, we weren't really good friends. He was like a kid in my Spanish class. I'm not sure if his mom made him or what, but he invited me to his youth group. Now, listen, this was not an, uh, like a masterful evangelism strategy, okay? It's not like some masterclass in evangelism. It was one eighth grader inviting a friend to his church. It was small, it was simple, but it was an investment. It was an investment, And listen, I got to this, I said yes, of course, because listen, I wanted out of my parents' house and around as many girls as I could possibly find. (laughs) Youth group, perfect, okay? (laughs) So I got to this youth group and listen to me, it was lame. Super, super lame. It was like a dozen kids. They gave us snacks. I think they were goldfish, okay? We had goldfish. We played Red Rover. Remember Red Rover? the game where you break your arm, okay? We played that game. Uh, I think, I'm guessing, I don't remember, but I think they may have talked about the Lord at some point. I have no memory of that. doesn't bode well for my occupation, but at some point, I think they, get, they talked about God. I do remember that they asked me about me, and I told them that I played guitar, that I was in a band, that I was into like heavy metal, I loved Metallica, and I kid you not, I kid you not, they told me the first time I went to this youth group that I should break all of my Metallica CDs because it was Satan's music. This is not a good evangelistic strategy. Please don't do this to your neighbors, okay? Actually, if they have Metallica CDs, they're like vintage, get them and give them to your pastor, okay? I'll take them off your hands. But listen, I I got to this youth group and and it wasn't cool. I mean, this is exactly what I would coach Kyle and our youth ministry team not to do, okay? Do not do this at Fathom, all right? I mean, the leaders weren't cool. They weren't young. They weren't hip. I had nothing in common with them. The whole night was on a whole lame, like not the youth group that you're really like wanting to invite your friends to. I mocked it. I sat in the back of my friend's like Chevy Corsica or something like that on the way home, sat next to my friend. And while his mom is driving us home, I am openly mocking the youth group all the way home. Red Rover, are you serious? You brought me to this? We sang a song about pharaohs. What, how does this have anything to do with Jesus? I had no idea what was going on. I mocked it the whole way home as they pull up to my house to drop me off. My friend says, uh, okay, Chris, um, like I'm sure, I think he was a little shocked because he was raised in it. So it's all, it's weird to me. It's not weird to him. You know that? Okay. But he's like, all right, man. Uh, so do you want to like come again next week? Invest and invite. I was like, yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, man, I'm, I'm in, I'm in, I am in. I'm, I, I kid you not. And I didn't know it at the time, but there's a theological concept that was at work there and I didn't know it at the time, but it's called the effectual call of Christ. Spurgeon calls it the hound of heaven. The hound of heaven had my scent sniffing me out. God was calling to me and I got there, listen, because of invest and invite, the ministry of reconciliation, a lame youth group with an eighth grade kind of friend. And listen, 
Three years later, three years later, it took me that long. I went to youth group every week for three years. I was invested. I was fully in. I was starting to lead in the worship team. I mean, I, was, I, I loved this youth group, but it took three years right before my junior year of high school for me to bow the knee to Christ. This might take some time, guys. Investing and inviting does not happen quickly sometimes. But over the course of those three years, I came to know Jesus because of one volunteer leader named Rich. I've told you about Rich before, but Rich decided to invest in me, in this youth group. Uh, he, he was, Rich was uh, nothing like me. Rich was like the oldest volunteer. He was so much old. I was a 16-year-old punk. The, Rich walks in. I mean, he was like in his 40s, right? So he was so old. Um, but he, Rich, Rich walked in. No, he was way older than that, actually. Uh, I just feel that way. But Rich walked in, and Rich, um, Rich was probably in his 70s. Rich had this big, white Santa Claus beard. Rich moved very gingerly and slowly, and Rich wore his pants extremely uncomfortably tight, which, by the way, was not cool, okay, in the 90s. That's not how the, the kids were doing it, as it were, okay? So, so he, was, he was, Rich was literally the worst dodgeball player I've ever seen in the history of dodgeball, okay? When, which is a big deal in youth group, okay? When we would play dodgeball, uh, it came time for dodgeball, the first one out was Rich. You just beam him in the face, he is out. <laughs> And then all the junior high girls followed, okay? And then we'd play, all right? Sorry, that's just the truth, okay? There was nothing cool about Rich. There was nothing cool about Rich. But he spent time with me. Over the course of three years, Rich demonstrated to me who Jesus was. And over the course of three years, when the time was right, Rich declared with his words, who Jesus was to me. And I gave my life to Christ because of his investment. Invite and invest. It's the ministry of reconciliation. Y'all, it was just an eighth grader and an old guy. And I was brought near. I was brought near and I was no longer a stranger. I was no longer an uncircumcised Gentile. I was actually made a citizen, a saint. I became a member of the household of God, the church. Joined together, growing together, built together, a place for God by the Spirit. This is our mission, church. This is what he's called us to do, is to be ministers of reconciliation. So I know this is a lot. I know we're out of time. Let me give you three just what I'm asking you to do today. Here's the three things. One, I want you to be very active in your church. If it's here, come on in. The water's fine. If it's not here, that's okay, but I want you to become very active in your church. Get involved in a group, Bible study, small group, whatever it might be. Sundays just aren't enough. Sundays just aren't enough, guys. Get in a group. Serve on a team. Karina mentioned that little piece of paper. Fill that thing out, man. Fill that little card out and become a part of this body. Join this team. Listen, you pitch, we need one of them. You play shortstop, we need that. You are the worst baseball player in the history of the world. We're going to put you in right field and you can just stand out there and look at the clouds, okay? We need you. That's what I do on my softball team, all right? We need you. 
Join us, join this team. Number two, as you join your church, I want you to connect with people who aren't like you. Someone who disagrees with you. Someone who doesn't look like you. Someone who's in a different life stage than you. Someone who earns money at a different rate than you. This is, listen, this is why our small groups here are actually mixed age and stage. We've done this intentionally because we want college students mixing and rubbing shoulders with 50, 60, 70-year-old people. This is the body of Christ. This is the rich fabric of the church, friends. So I just want you to connect with people who aren't like you. And then number three, finally, I want you to invest and invite someone. Someone. This is the ministry of reconciliation. Someone, somewhere in your sphere of influence at school, at work, at home, your neighbor, your friend, someone in your sphere of influence needs you to invest in them. To talk more about something, something deeper than, than how's the weather, your lawn looks bad, the Broncos stink, like whatever it is. Just take it to the next level of depth. Invest in them. Invite them into that conversation. And then I would just encourage you, invite them to church. 80%. That's not because we, listen, that's not because we want to just see a bunch of more people in here. It's because we want to see the lost found. We want to see your friends. I hope you want to see your friends who are far from Christ brought near. I hope you want to see the walls torn down, these hostility walls, even against your friends who aren't Christians and you who are a Christian. The ministry of reconciliation, reconciliation Paul says, is you say to your unsaved friends, be reconciled to God. Invite them. Because listen, my story, church, is that without an eighth grade friend, and his mom. And without bad at dodgeball rich and dozens of others who invested in me and invited me to follow Christ. We literally are not sitting here today right now this way. You have been reconciled to be agents of reconciliation. Let's do it. Pray with me. Father, what a... What a complex passage, what an interesting passage, but also what a, what a compelling message, Father, from your servant, Paul, that we are reconciled with a purpose, both to you and to one another, but then for the building of your church, your body, your kingdom here on earth. God, I pray that we would, like Paul, reflect on who we were, that we would remember our estrangement, separated from God's people, separated from God's promises, but that we would remember the good news that we were brought near, that we were no longer strangers or aliens, that we were made citizens and saints, members of the household of God. And God, I pray that our zeal would be amplified because of that, that our hunger for our friends, our hunger for our roommates, our hunger for our coworkers, Lord, our hunger for our family members, our hunger for them to know you would burn like a fire inside of us that we couldn't contain. 
I pray, Lord, that we would be agents of reconciliation, ministers of reconciliation, with the message of reconciliation, be reconciled to God. Lord, build your church through your people, for your glory and for our good. We love you. Father, we pray this in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.